Hi everyone, this is Mark Lewandowski. I'm so excited to share with you this next talk. It was a session I did in Scottsdale, Arizona at the Sono Symposium. The idea of the whole conference was innovation and creative idea generation. The audience was full of individuals who own hospices and healthcare organizations, and they're looking for ways to grow their businesses and energize their staff to become more creative. I thought it was a great session, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. This is really exciting. Today, we're going to talk about creativity. We're going to break it into three categories for you, because out of the whole world of creative idea generation and creativity, uh, it's hard to break it into that few of slices. So we're going to take a couple of pieces and things that I really thought you could use in your real life, okay? So we're going to talk today about the power of your mind and the ideas that come from it. Creativity is, it happens in a 22-inch environment. And that 22 inches is the circumference around your head. You know, we think about that we got to go to the bookstore and get creative. we got to bring people in to be creative. we got to build creative. But really, creativity happens right here. All 100% of creative idea generation happens in your head. So it's your mind that we have to play with or work with today. That's our, that's the field of play is your head. So how do we do that? Well, the field, if the field of play is your head, then we have to find ways to stimulate the proper use of your thinking. That's what this is all about. And so it's really going to be fun. So today we're going to talk about tools that we can use to more effectively create innovation, and creativity within those 22 inches. So creative ideas are the building blocks of innovation. Innovation is the application of creativity. The, here are the cats. Did you, know, did you know that audiences are like cats? When you want them to come, they won't. But as soon as you ignore them, they show up right away. So it's a Dr. Tim, so you're blaming it on other people. All right. Next year, we need to have a session on blaming other people for you. You know, just pass the buck. So today, so we're, we're talking about the 22 inches of creativity that's the circumference around your head. That's all you need. So okay. Okay, so. What we're going to do today, as we talk about the ideas or things, ways to stimulate uh, the ideas that are within your head, we're going to talk about ideas and creativity as the building blocks of innovation. So when you are getting more ideas in your head and then you're learning how to apply them, you're much more able to innovate. And so today, I think we're probably going to talk about nine, probably eight or nine elements of creativity, and I'm going to start with one that many of you have already seen, but once we get to past the first two items, this will all be fresh, brand new stuff for you, and I love it. I'm super excited about the things that we're going to learn today. So here's our agenda for the next hour. We're going to talk for a moment about creative environments. Next, we're going to be talking about thinking in opposites, and then number three, leveraging ideas. So Let's begin with creative environments. Some of you have seen this, but it's very important to think about there are certain things that you want to have in your mind that are always part of your natural repertoire of thoughts. And this is one of them. This is Carolyn Bassett's model called the empowerment model. And this was way, way, this was way before its time. This is an incredible model. I studied under this lady and she was on my dissertation committee, and she was the hard charger and the tough one, and I just loved her, because she didn't put up with any baloney. But here's what she proposed. Oh, what the heck? Did I miss one? Oh, it's the next slide, I'm sorry. So I'm glancing at this, they have two slides on the, on the, yeah, that just messed me up. But technology sometimes messes me up. So we'll come back to this one in just a moment. But let's do this. Let's start with empowerment. This is the Carolyn Bassett empowerment model, and it's great for thought because it will help you understand how do you create an environment within your organization. And it doesn't matter whether it's your church, your nonprofit, your hospice, any entity, this works in every environment, even in your home, among your family. So there are two things to consider in empowerment. 
The first is the is your capacity or a person's capacity, and next the environment. Let's start with just the environment. Is the environment in which you work open to ideas or is it closed off to ideas? I would I would bet that if we ask the question realistically, has anyone worked in an environment where they were not open to any of your ideas? At, at Stanford University, they call this, they have this thing called the Catholic model. And the Catholic model is we replicate one model everywhere we go, no matter what, and we never vary from that. That's called the Catholic model, and there's no, I'm not trying to diminish the value of anybody's faith. It's just that's the, the, what we call the Catholic model because it's replicated. And any kind of variation outside that model is not welcome. It's very much like the negative components of Six Sigma. Six Sigma is this wonderful quality improvement and no defect production idea. But And I want that if the physician is pulling out a stent to put in my lower interior descending. That's what I want. I want zero defect production. But in the world that you and I work, we don't want to eliminate defects at the expense of a lack of creativity. So I, I'm always looking for an open environment for my creativity, not a closed environment. So let's say that this capacity is you. Do you have authentic capacity to make a difference in the world? Do you come up with good ideas? Or do you have inauthentic capacity? Inauthentic capacity goes like this. You got a problem, you got a problem and you don't know what to do with it. You say, gosh, do I do I go this direction or I go that? Do I do I hire let's let's say it's a hiring decision. I'm in the midst right now of trying to hire a controller, and you would think they would be very easy, but I really want a creative controller, somebody innovative, somebody that thinks in advance. This is hard. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at two candidates and I don't know what to do. So I flip a coin, it comes up heads, I pick heads. The person that I identified said. And it turns out to be the best thing ever. <laughs> Was that authentic capacity to make a difference? No. I simply flipped a coin. It was luck. Because I flipped a coin, I had inauthentic capacity in an open environment, and so I get luck. I, was, I, was, I cannot continue to make great decisions by flipping a coin. But if I had authentic capacity to make a good hire decision, then I would really know my stuff and I would really vet that person well. And I would determine by uh, real objective criteria the best decision to make. And I'm more repeatable, able to make that um, good decision. When that happens, I have authentic capacity in an open environment. And that's where, for us, where um, empowerment occurs. So the reason I wanted to show you this is that if you're going to have a hospice, if you're going to have an organization that is truly empowered to be great, you have to have two things. An open environment with people that are authentically able to make a difference. Now, you want to create this and you build this by hiring great people and training them. Okay? That's the key. Hire excellence, but train the tar out of them. Make them even better than they were had they not been trained by you. Okay, let's go back just one slide to this creative environments. You know, somebody uh, just recently, uh, it was Gary. I think it was Gary that said, hey, next year let's have an outdoor session. Well, a lot of people believe in creativity. that If we go outdoors, we'll be more creative. No, outdoors by themselves, by just going outside doesn't make you more creative. Just outdoors, wind and breeze doesn't make a person more creative. And Perry showed a slide the other day where it said we're throwing footballs. Remember that? And you see like the Innovation Mansion and they show a video of the Innovation Mansion and you go there and they're shooting Nerf guns at each other and throwing footballs. It's not games that generate ideas. Some people like quiet places to get ideas where I like noise. When I'm in too quiet of environment... I can't think. I can think much better with a little bit of distraction. And there's real, there's real uh, science behind that. I don't know for sure if we'll talk about that yet today. But 
dry erase boards by themselves don't generate ideas people do. So you've got to learn tools that help you be more creative. So here's the great question. Why do we get our best ideas in the shower? This is a great question people ask all the time in creativity. Mark, why do I get such great ideas in the shower or mowing my lawn or raking the leaves or going for a walk? It's very simple. You get your best ideas not because you're in a shower, not certainly not because you're naked. If you were up here naked, you'd be terribly uncomfortable. But you get your best ideas because you have multiple arm and leg activity, you have hemispheric integration, you have auto-process thinking in an idea-friendly environment. And now let's talk about that. So, you have a brain. And your brain has two components. Now, there's been wide debate about hemispheric brain theory, but hemispheric brain theory is, is really accurate, and there's, there's science behind this as well. We have a right side of our brain and a left side of our brain, and they're tied together right in the middle by something called, anyone know? Corpus callosum. Corpus callosum, that's right. So that's one of the theories about brain activity. The other theory about brain activity is that you've got levels of thought, and this is also very accurate. You have subconscious, pre-conscious, and conscious levels of thought. And the reason that you get such good ideas in the shower are, is simply this. You're at one simultaneous, or at one point in your life, you're simultaneously using two brain theories at the same time. You're using left brain, right brain activity, and you have dropped from conscious to pre-conscious thought, and it's in pre-conscious thought where we get our best ideas. I was watching somebody right across there on the treadmill, and they're going, they're on that treadmill, and they're moving like this, right? Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And they're, they're doing the same thing on that treadmill, and all of a sudden they go from, pre, from fully conscious thought. There's sweat running down my face. What did I wear? What does that wallpaper look like? And all of a sudden they're just gone, and they're lost in thought. Very much like when you're driving. How many times have you ever driven someone you're like, realize, oh my God, I just drove 20 miles and I don't remember any of it. You drop from conscious thinking to pre-conscious, your auto-processing kicked in. And that's where we get the best ideas. Why do we get such great ideas in the shower? Because it's an idea-friendly place. You're using left and right brain activity. Um, and you drop from fully conscious to pre-conscious thought. How does that help us in our workplaces? Well, our workplaces is that if you've got a real problem, the worst thing that you can do in resolving a problem is sit on your fanny and stare at a piece of paper. That is death to ideas. First of all, you don't have any brains in your fanny. I don't know, you know if you know this, but your brains are here and you can't activate your brain sitting on your butt. So the best thing you do at any time to get an idea is just get up and go for a little walk. And go somewhere where you're very comfortable. Here's the challenge. Let's say that we're going to go outside our hotel in an environment in which we're uncomfortable or un not knowledgeable of what's out there. You're not going to get great ideas out there. And the reason is because you're fully conscious thinking about safety, security, where you're going to go, when you cross the street, who that might be behind you, who are you... You've got to go someplace that's a comfort zone, someplace you know well. If your employees are dealing, if you've got an employee that deals with challenges, you need to encourage them not to deal with challenges in their office. I have at my office, I'm a, I'm a nut, okay? I love this stuff. This is my absolute dream is to talk about creativity. So we created in our office a thing called the War Room. And the War Room's about this size. It, it is, say what you say, it's about the size of this room. And 38 feet across that wall is one dry erase board. And there are chairs, soft, squishy chairs, and a table, and a coffee machine, and no one's allowed in there that's up. So we go in. I go in early in the morning. I shut the door. I get myself a coffee. I get my dry erase. I look, and I, I mean, I'm lost in creative thought. And I start writing ideas and workflow on this dry erase board, and I get to the end, I erase things, and it's been two hours and I was gone. But I'm not sitting down, I'm walking, I'm up walking around. 
So when Bill, Bill was here yesterday, Bill Thurman, and he was talking about this, this global concept of palliative care. And so he showed me this global concept of palliative care the next morning. What, we did, what I did is came in and I drew the workflow on a 38-foot dry erase board that brought him in and said, is this what you mean? But in my mind, I couldn't think of it till I got up and I was left brain, right brain. Okay, let's talk a little bit about left brain, right brain. Which brain do you have? Are you left brain or right brain? Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, well, I'm, I'm a right brainer. I'm a left brain. That person's so weird, they're a right brain. Or, well, I'm, I'm very left brain. Okay, well, is it because there are certain types of characteristics that are associated with right brain activity, left brain activity? Yes, it's absolutely the case. So here's what I'll tell you. If you're a right brainer, you, you're more likely to be artistic, verbal, spatial, intuitive, and excited. Do you think Perry Farmer is right brain? <laughs> yes. It's funny, too, because I'm described often as a blocking and tackling person who gets stuff done, and that would be very left brain, but I score highly right brain, almost sickeningly, almost like I can't function as a human. <laughs> a left brainer, scientific, action-oriented, linear, in other words, very organized, direct, and in control. Which one are you? Should we find out? Let's find out. For those of you that are new, here's what you're going to do. Take out a piece of paper, and I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give you a test. And every time that you get one, I want you to do a little tick mark, and I want you to keep track of whether you're right side of the body or left side of the body, okay? We're going to just do some real simple exercises. Is everyone ready? Are you ready? Okay. So we're going to start with your thumbs. Show me your thumbs, everybody. Does everyone in here have two thumbs? Good. Now, turn your thumbs up. Now, integrate your fingers like this. Which thumb is on top, your left or your right? Okay, whichever it is, we're talking about your body side. So now, if your right thumb was up, put a tick mark under R. If your left thumb was up, put a tick mark under L. Okay? Now, let's look at the next one. Are you right-handed or left-handed? By nature. Now, those of you who switch off in a switch, you're going to have to determine the most appropriate one for you the one that's most natural. Here's why I say this. I went to school in 1971, my first time in school, you know, or 1970. When I came into school in 1970, left-handed kids were weird. So you had 30 desks in the room and 29 of them were right-handed desks. So if you were left-handed, you just switched that pen over to the other side because you didn't want to be weird. So if you're a natural lefty, then I want you to put left. But if you're not, go ahead and put right. So you should have two Check the tick mark somewhere, correct? Okay. Now, turn to a friend or someone you don't know and wink at them. Okay? Go ahead and wink at them. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Mark, Mark over here is, Mark over here is hitting <laughs> Okay, so put your wink down. That's your third. Okay, now, look at your friend, too, and I want you to smile really big. One side of your person, one of, you're looking at them. One side of their face goes up more than the other on your smile. I dig it right now to your left. It's, yeah, to your left. Okay, now, everyone, stick your arms out here. Stick your arms out, follow them like this. Which wrist is on top? Stick your arms out, follow them. Judy, Judy, behave. I know it's cute, but I got an element. Okay, look, I might have to put you in a sec now. Okay. Because we're on slide three right now. That's all. So, left, which one Which one is on top? Which which wrist is on top? Okay. I was just looking at uh, Charlene. Yours was right, correct? Even though it's tucked down, it's the wrist that shows, so it's right. Okay. So, that, so we've got thumbs, hand, wink, smile, arms. 
Legs. Now, I need you to cross your legs both ways. Tell me which one's the most comfortable. Which knee on top is the most comfortable? All right, here we go. I'm rolling the soccer ball. You're going to run and kick it with which leg? With, okay. All right, now here's the ones that you have to absolutely actually listen to me because they're more difficult. Okay. I'm going to skip eight for a minute. We'll come back to that. We're going to go to nine. I want you to imagine that on the wall up here is a clock, and it's a face clock. It's, it's not a digital clock. It's an analog clock. Okay? And so that clock says three o'clock on it. And why I say three o'clock is because that, in 1972, when I was in second grade, when that thing hit three o'clock, we ran out the door. I mean, it was... No, don't, Katie, hold the door, Katie, bar the door, somebody open it, here we go. And it was time to play at 3 o'clock. So what I want you to do is you're going to take your thumbs, and you're going to make one of your thumbs the second hand and one the hour hand, but you're going to do it with your eyes closed. So, and you're going to stick your thumbs up in the air and have them mirror or mimic the 3 o'clock. So everyone close your eyes. Now stick your hands straight up and make the 3. Okay. All right, which hand is on the three? Okay, go. Go with that. All right. Okay, so now, did everybody see my nose? I know it's hard to see. My nose is dark. Pardon me? That was... I, I skipped eight. I rolled the soccer ball at you with seven. You didn't do... What was eight? Oh, okay, okay. That was, oh, okay. I thought eight was the kick. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, you didn't do seven. I, I, I did. Yeah, yeah. So that was seven. I, it was your fingers, the soccer ball. Oh, I didn't remember. Say it again. I rolled the soccer ball at you, and you ran and kicked it. Okay. All right. Now, I want everybody to take your thumb just like this and lift it up. Put it right on top of my nose. Okay? Cover up my face. Now, close each eye one at a time without moving your thumb. One of your eyes is really aligned between my nose, your thumb, and your eye. That's your dominant eye. The non-dominant eye is way over to the side doing absolutely nothing. Sorry. Your left eye dominant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the one that was actually, like, see, if I've got Billy right there, and it's hard to do because you're tough. But you, I close my left eye. I'm right eye dominant. So like, because that's the one eye that is really blocking Billy's face out. The other eye, when I close my right eye, my left eye is way over here to the side. It's not doing anything. Okay? Okay, last one. We're going to do a little visualization technique. I want you to look at my face, and I'm going to ask you a question. What, did you, what shoes did you wear yesterday morning? So what I just did is I asked you a question, and you're naturally going to go find that information somewhere in your brain. And how you move your eyes tells me where you what where's your brain dominance on on trying to remember something and visualizing something that happened yesterday. Okay? So now I want you to pay, I'm gonna ask you another question, and I want you to pay attention to where your eyes naturally want to look after I ask you this question. So look right at me, and your eyes are going to want to move somewhere, okay? What did you wear for New Year's Eve this year? See, I, my eyes naturally want to go up and to the left, okay? So whatever, put that, so put that down. Now, let's go ahead and tally your scores up. We're going to try to determine whether you're right brain dominant or left brain dominant. Okay, how many, have you got it all tallied? Okay, let's start with, how many of you are, let's just start here. How many of you are right side of the body dominant? Raise your hand in this. Okay, is anybody eight? Anybody eight? Okay, eight right, eight, eight right side. Okay, anybody seven? Anybody six? Okay, good. Let's move over. Now let's go to who who among you is left side of the body dominant? Okay. Anybody eight? I'm eight. Anybody seven? Six? Is anybody five and five? 
Five and five? You're five and five? Okay, we have to break the tie. So, oh, <laughs> well, we're going to have to do okay, well, okay. So, it's the two of you guys in the front, right? Okay, please just stand up for just a moment. Okay, you're going to take your thumbs straight out here, okay? And then now bend your arms and put your thumbs under your nostrils and determine your nostril dominance like this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got you! I'm just kidding. Okay, so. Nostradamus. Okay, so now remember that it's the opposite side of your body that you're cross connecting to. So if you're right side dominant, you're le a left brainer. You're structured, organized, detailed, rhythmic, linear. If you're left side of the body dominant, you're more likely to be uh, verbal, artistic, creative, intuitive. You, and the reason is because that's the part of the brain that connects unrelated items. Here's the last thing before we go move on. Let's say that you're in the mall or at church. It doesn't matter where you are. And you look at somebody and you're like, oh, no, I know that person. What's their name? Oh, no, I'm supposed to know their name. They're going to know mine. I'm so embarrassed. What do you do? Okay. Their name is not stored in the left side of your brain. Their name is stored in the right side of your brain because their name and their face have nothing to do with each other. So what you've got to do is you have to stimulate, you have to do something in your body, with your body, that stimulates that side. So you take your keys out of your pocket or anything you've got and you start rolling it around in your left hand. Roll it around. Because left hand activity stimulates right side brain activity and that's where the name is stored. And so what I do is, if Billy's walking toward me and I go, uh, A, A, B, B, Billy. B Billy sees, what's his last name? So I go right through the alphabet and it'll stimulate very quickly. So use these techniques to stimulate. I wish I had known this in college or taken the exam because I would have never allowed myself to just sit still staring at something where I know, I know this answer and I can't remember. What you got to do is throw that pen in your left hand and start rolling around because the name, go back to college, the name of this general that fought this war and so and so, it's not linear, it's not a story. It's a completely unrelated, his name in the war. And so I move something around in my left hand, stimulating the right side of the brain activity. What does this mean to you? Here's what it means to you. You cannot be great and creative sitting on your butt. You're going to be great and creative when you go do something. And you can't sit if you're driving or you're cycling or you're you have to be doing something. You can't just sit still. Think about it. And all that we've just learned, if, I, if I'm a little kid at school, right, and I come and I'm told, sit still and keep your hands quiet. Did you, ever, did you guys ever have a teacher say, quiet hands, quiet hands, Okay. This is the most uncreative thing I've ever seen. And then this too, a piece of paper with a pencil or crayon in my right hand. I have no natural ability to be creative, intuitive, spatial. I'm only able to be linear. So we, if you're, if you're thinking about a school for your kids where they get up and run around and sit in bean bags and they draw on boards and that's that's a creative school. Years ago, I was sponsored by Pepsi to do a thing in Tulsa at a university on creative environments for children. And the whole idea of creative environments for children is don't make them sit down. Let them get up and move. They're, all their efforts will be focused on creative idea generation. And the application of those ideas is called innovation. That's, that's what we need. So you need a culture within your workplace that allows people to get up and move. Uh, companies like 3M that make the vast majority of their income on new ideas that are made within the last three years, they've got places out back where you go for a walk and you stop and sit. They've got places where the offices are all built around in the interior space. Um, it's very creative. I saw, Mark, I saw your space at Mark. It, I couldn't believe what I was walking. Now, you know my background. I'm walking around going, oh my God, I love this place. So you come to our offices and it's very, very, as cool as we could within limited resources. Um, we've got really cool places to go. We have a rooftop deck 
where if you're sick and tired of being, you can go up on the top deck, highways going by, baseball game out there. We've got a yoga room where we have yoga at noon. We have a, a place where you can go get on the treadmill and either watch TV or thing. We have a couch where you can lay down and rest. I mean, there's creative idea opportunities for you everywhere. Okay. I've got to keep moving. You guys, can we go to number two now? Paul, I'm going to work. Really good. Is it okay if I bleed over just a hair, maybe? Yeah, you started late. It was it my fault? <laughs> it was mine. Right? Absolutely. Dr. Dr. Jim's fault. Okay. All right, let's talk about sweet, uh, thinking in opposites. Maybe the mo- one of the most simplest and most powerful tools you'll ever use within a group um, at your workplace to start creative ideas that lead to innovation. We're going to look at three things today. Our very basic tool is called switching shoes. A little more advanced tool is called big, small, or also black, white. And then the expert is called the pre-mortem. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is the coolest new technique I've learned, and I'm so excited about it and and so thrilled to bring this technique to you because I've never seen anything work as well as this. Okay, So let's start with just a very simple concept of switching shoes. It's, it's called, it's, it eliminates myopic perception. In other words, the whole world evolves around me and everybody should do it my way. And, you know, anytime in marketing and sales, we always say, never sell to someone else like you would sell to yourself. You are not the customer. Just because you like that color doesn't mean everybody else does. Just because that's what you love doesn't mean that's what everybody else does. What you really do is you've got to, in order to be creative, you literally have to take off your shoes and try to get in the shoes of the other person. It's a very simple tool that just eliminates your limited viewpoint of the world. So we do this in a whole lot of ways. We do it by reading. We do it by research. We do it by examination or talking to other people. But simply just visiting with them and getting to know the customer and then focusing as a group on eliminating our natural tendencies to go the same way over and over, okay? So think about if you were designing clothing, would you make money by designing clothing just the way you like to dress? You know, you may not. You may or you may not, but that's not what you do. You don't go open a store because that's the stuff you love. You open a store because you believe there's a hole in the marketplace in which you can serve it. Same thing with the services we offer. You might think that somebody's request for a report is the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. But to them, it's very important, and it might might lead to the real value proposition we talked about last week. So in Switching Shoes, these are the questions that we ask. Uh, What is it like to be them? We stop and say, what's their life like? Okay. Um, have, what have they told us? So not only just what have we, what do we intuitively think? What have they told us? What have we observed? And what do we now believe they want? If we go through this very simple exercise and we do it as a group in a small group and you say, okay, we're trying to take it to market. Let's say we're trying to get into a, get into the physicians at a new clinic. Okay. What is it? It's like to be them. What are they going through? Um, what have they told us? What have we observed? And how do we then change our stars to make life successful for them? Okay? That's a very simple tool. Let's go to one called Big, Small, Black, White. This is a more, a little more advanced idea. It's the concept of completely abandoning what you currently know, completely abandoning what you know, and go after the opposite. It forces us to radically rethink what we're doing. And it's the concept of what if. Okay, what if trucks were no longer big? What if getting old was actually more fun than being young? You know, it's the complete opposite. It's um, looking at big, small, black, white is examining certain questions like, what do we do well? And if we continue to do that well, Will we always succeed? And the question might be, no. We do that well now, but what's the opposite? Where is it going? Where's the migration? Um, what are we comfortable with? A lot of our problem as in an organization that's not growing is we've not thought in opposites, and we haven't examined our comfort zones and why we're comfortable. This, this word is extremely dangerous to your long-term success. Don't 
Would you agree? Comfort is just miserable while everything else is changing and you're comfortable in doing nothing. So do we have the courage to change our approach to the marketplace? Let's take a look at a couple of companies that had the courage. Here's one. This is called Zipcar. I don't, I, and I'm going to bet you that there's two people, maybe, that have experienced this. Okay? They'd all be millennials. So I'd say maybe three. It'd be Seth, Jordan, and Sam would be the ones I'd pick. Tell me your name again. Marissa. Marissa, I, Marissa would be. So if you live in a large city, Seth, let me ask you, how much, when you, before you moved, how much was your rent in San Francisco? $4,200. Did you get a parking space in a covered garage with that? No. Where did you park your car? Four blocks away. How much did it cost you to park your car in a month? $300. So $4,500 for an apartment plus a place to park your car, right? Right. That's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. So the auto community, Ford was one of the leaders in this thought process, and they said, you know what? We're losing an entire generation of buyers, an entire generation of really smart, talented, sophisticated people that are moving to the inner cities, cities like Manhattan, San Francisco, San Jose, downtown, everywhere, and there's no place to park their car. So what they're doing now is they're purposely building small cars that they own, and they park them, and you go, and on your app, you rent that car for two hours at a time. And so here's a guy walking up to a zip car, and he's punching in his coats. They know him. They know his credit card, and it unlocks the car, and he takes it for two hours and parks it back. And when you go to the app, it shows where all the cars are parked. How many of you, is there anyone here that's never heard of this? It's all over Europe and doing really well. This is a radical change to Ford Motor Company's normal. You walk in, you sit down, you get, you, they treat you terribly, they take all your money, but then they tell you how great a job you did negotiating. And you know it's baloney. <laughs> This is a complete abandonment of their old comfort zone. Now, this is not working everywhere. A complete abandonment of your comfort zone might not work everywhere, so that's why, but if you don't have those dialogues, you'll never know. If you don't try, you'll never, you'll never grow. Are there places where you don't want a Catholic model? Remember the Catholic model I talked to you about is replicating your business everywhere. Okay, let's, let me give you an example. I've got a hospice in Chicago. And in Chicago, people think in a certain way. So I'm going to deliver hospice services in my five locations around the Chicago area, and I'm going to do them Catholic. I'm going to replicate the model over and over. But then somebody gives me an opportunity to acquire a hospice in Rockford, Illinois. If you've ever been to Rockford, you just ahead a little bit. West and north toward Wisconsin, right on the border, is this little cute town called Rockford, where they have space between the homes, and the green grass is fluffy, and people have a little cat coffee shop where you get some eggs and coffee for $2.60. It is not Chicago. And if you run your Chicago-based hospice in Rockford, you're not going to be successful. So you have to be a little more boost. And the boost mentality is to examine the culture and make slight adjustments. So you're kind of half Catholic, half Buddhist, Budalic. <laughs> so I think today successful businesses are Budalic. They're, they're very much Catholic when they need to be, and they're very much Buddhist when it's an appropriate change of fit. I'm having a really good time. I hope you are. Okay. All right. This is my, oh my gosh, this is my absolute favorite new thing. I can't believe where was this where was this for 20 years when I was teaching creative thinking all over the country companies. This is the best tool I've ever used. And, I, and when they told me about it, I kind of freaked out because it seems negative. And then I, I used the tool and it's unbelievably successful. It's called a pre-mortem. A pre-mortem is to Think about the death of your idea before you ever launched it. It's an examination of your whole world with the realization that you could fail. 
It is the life of an idea in question. Where, and here's why. Let's say that we get together, let's use the Rockford Illinois example. Let's buy the hospice in Rockford. Well, they failed. Well, we're better than the other people. Well, the, the population census isn't that big. Well, you know, we're going to draw from the community. And if we do it right, we don't have to have a whole lot of money. Okay, so let's let's do the. So you got the idea. Mark, you do the workflow. Hall, uh, you get out there and sell it. And so we mock it all up and never sat down and really examined our failure points. You know why? Because I'm afraid to tell Hall that I don't think a city board from Chicago can sell in Rockford. I'm afraid to tell him that. You know what? I like him. And what if I'm wrong? What if he's really good? But I don't want to say, Hall, I really don't think you have what it takes to sell Rockford. Because you're just a little too slick. And people in Rockford really don't like They're not going to like you. Very slick. And then, <laughs> pardon me? I'm very slick. You are very slick. So I, I think slick. people are going to say to me, Mark, people are afraid to say to me, Mark, I'm not sure your workflow process is going to work out there. It works really great when you have, you know, a, a dense geographic area and you're using courier services and you've got, you know, they're really, it's really a push and the reimbursement in Chicago is greater than it will be. And then I'm afraid to say to somebody else, I don't know that you really know how to buy that company at a price where we're not getting hung up to dry. So do you, you got to see, does it, am I the only one that's afraid to say something to somebody just brutally honest sometimes? Yeah. Okay, so here's what we do. We pretend, and I've done this, and it works beautifully. You get everybody in your room to sit down, and you give them a piece of paper and a pen, and you say, everybody write this title. This is a newspaper article that comes out, that's coming out in the Chicago Sun-Times or whatever. I think it's something, actually, Chicago, whatever, who cares? Anyway, in, their new, in the Tribune, here's the title. The title is... New hospice fails drastically. Write that. Everybody writes that down. And now I say to everybody in the room, now write the story. Write the story as if you're the reporter reporting on it. Here's what happens. When I start writing the story. I have no other choice but to say um, the marketing department failed to understand the differences between Chicago and Rockford. And at the same time, there were failure points within the workflow process that nobody understood because they had never gone from a urban to a residential community. And they, we did this recently. I'm on a board of a of a college, and we were searching searching for a new president. And we got down to the end, and we were about to make the selection. And everyone, you could just tell there was just tension among the board, and the board is relatively small. And so we did this. And we handed out, and the faces of the board members lit up when we read each other's articles, and we realized that everyone had the same fears, but we were afraid that my concerns and insecurities, doubts and fears were different than everybody else's. And what we found was everybody was thinking the exact same thing. This works for two things. It works for truth-telling, and it also works for helping you figure out why is it that in the back of your mind, but you can't come up with an idea, why is it that you got some insecurity, What and you can't even put your finger on it, but it's back there. When you write it down, many times the story comes, the story tells the insecurity. It's called a pre-mortem. You consider the death of the situation before it ever occurred. And I promise you, it works. I think you'll love it. I think you'll email me sometime this year and say, we did a pre-mortem. It was the coolest thing because it forced us to communicate and really think. All right, let's go to number three. Leveraging the advancements of others. You know, I talked last week or earlier in the week about leverage. Very important concept to say, what's the importance of leverage? Why is, why is starting from scratch better or worse than leveraging. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And we're going to talk about what's called center point exploration. So here's my thought. If I take someone else's concept and I, I'm looking at something, I say, oh my gosh, that is so cool. If we tweaked it just a little bit, that's a great idea. Is it okay that 
95% of the idea was somebody else's thought and you leverage it just differently? Yes. Realize that creativity is not necessarily an absolute start from scratch. Sometimes creativity is simply a modification of an existing element. Here we go. I'm going to throw something at you. Here we are, and we're at the we're at the we're at the hotel, and the airport is 12 miles away, and we I want to go to the airport because I'm tired of you people and sunshine and good food and giggling. I I'm tired of all of it. Okay, I want to go home where it's cold. I'll be by myself and I have to work. Okay, but that's more fun. I'm teasing you. You know. So here's what I decide to do. I decide that my flight is at seven. It's 12 miles. I walk at about four miles an hour, so I need three hours. So I get my shoes. I grab my luggage. I have to check my luggage and figure out, are there wheels, handles, and everything. And I start, I get my phone out, and I look for the best route to walk to the airport. And I, I plug in the route, so I've got my phone, I've got my luggage. I picked my outfits because it's going to be hot, so I want to wear light clothing. I start walking. I get hungry. I'm going to stop. I go into Subway. I get a sandwich. I pick up my stuff again. I keep walking. Now it's been another hour. I'm tired and I'm hungry. I go into the convenience store. I get a bottle of water. I pick up my stuff, and I keep walking. Or I call Uber. <laughs> they swing by. I load up my luggage. Here we go. This is creativity. Why do you think you have to start from scratch and walk to the airport? Leverage other people. Genius people take cool things and they put them together and then they figure out where do we go from here? It's called center point exploration. It looks just like this. This is creativity in a cartoon. This is you right here in the middle with an idea. Not You're not down at the beginning of a workflow. You're not at the top of a chain. You're right in the middle. And what you're going to think about is turning around and looking at, okay, this thing that we have is really cool. Are there new groups of people that we should take this to? And if so, who? Are there ways that we could market this or promote it like... In the 50s where no one had ever considered that Ovaltine needed a commercial in black and white. And you show people drinking Ovaltine and smiling. <laughs> so do we want to promote this in a different way? Is there, are we currently using this here and it would work in another nation or another state? Um, is there a different time when this would be a better application? What if I moved my breakfast restaurant and I opened it at midnight? But it was, and I called it breakfast at midnight. That would be really fun. What if I put wine in a cardboard box? <laughs> I say this because, and I'm so glad Steve's not here, because last night I broke the rules. I accidentally told Steve how great Hall was in a manner that would easily be considered selling. So I owe Steve a hundred bucks and you guys an apology. But the reason I did it it's because I was drinking wine out of a box. <laughs> and I don't know what the hell that was, but I'm not doing it again because it's dangerous. Okay, so what if the product that you got is a cupcake? How do you adjust that? Isn't it crazy that there are, there are stores that sell cupcakes? That's all they sell? It's kind of like, did you know in the Mall of America in Minneapolis, there are two stores that only sell magnets, refrigerator magnets. Two entire stores. There are other stores that fail drastically, completely, and these people sell kind of one product, and there's two of them in one mall. It's crazy. <laughs> Is there a different way to make to build a workflow around the idea which would make this more successful? You know, this thing that we've been doing called Claris has been amazing because we've been going out looking at the coolest um, new applications for healthcare, and whenever I see them, it's a miserable experience for me because I'm trying to focus on putting that tool in my existing workflow. But what my brain wants to do is say, oh my God, that's fabulous. You know who else could use this? And where else I could put it? And how, how can we make money on that? Because I have a serial entrepreneur problem. I'm eight side, eight side, eight out of 10 is left side. So my brain is always thinking 
spatially and creatively and it'll just drive you bananas. You got five ideas before you get to the car. And crazy people like me think all of them are good. So you need somebody, remember we talked about holding a mirror? You think I, you think I don't need a mirror? I need somebody to hold the mirror up and say, you are crazy. Look at this. This is not going to work. Okay. So you become the center point in this model. So let's talk a little bit in summary. In summary, you got 22 inches you're dealing with and 100% of all the ideas that are going to come in your world that could come out of those 22 inches. You have an opportunity to either create a good environment or not, and that's up to you. I highly recommend that you create a good environment, even if you don't spend much money on it at all. You don't have to spend a lot of money to create a good environment for idea generation. In many places, you just need a safe zone where people can go and sit, walk around, think, draw, do whatever it is they need to do. There are also tools for you to use to exercise both left side and right side of your thinking. And a lot of that is movement, but you can also, if you're sitting, put something in the left side, in your left hand, roll it around to remember names. Uh, I would say I, I just touched on a few like techniques or tools that you could put in your toolbox of creativity. But next I will say it's the application of your creative thought that becomes innovation. Innovation does not just happen. You take a great creative thought and then you put it in a process. And you hope that the process has creative ideas too, but there's many times where a person like me, an 8-2, takes an idea and gives it to Seth, who's an 8-2 on the other side, and says, this is what I'm thinking. And he either says, ah, or ooh. So my job is to come up with the ideas and another person is to take those ideas and work them through the process. But elements along that process are creative too. Because you're borrowing, you're begging, you're stealing, you're examining all the time. It's not magic, it's just process. It's just putting yourself in the right place at the right time to get great ideas and then implement them. This is Mark Lewandowski thanking you for spending time with me today. And remember, some is not a number, soon is not a time, and luck is not a strategy.